Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we ask you to work in our service tonight in each heart. And Lord, that you would give us grace to understand more of your word that we may live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'll show you tonight. Uh, anyone who wants to see this, this is the approved plans for our baptistry. And so, uh, we've only been at this, oh, I think it's the architect and I've been working on this part of it for the last six or eight weeks, and uh, finally uh, went to the building department yesterday, and they said, well, you don't have this paper, and you don't have this paper, and you don't know this, and you're not certified to do this, and and uh, uh, so I went back today, and we got the plans approved. Now, the next step is to get a construction permit that allows us to do the work of putting the baptistry in, cutting the hole in the floor, and all of that, and uh, then we get the plumber to get the plumber permit, and he's got to come out and hook up the pipes, and then we get an inspector to come out and inspect the plumbing, and then we go back and beg the building department to give us a letter saying, now that you've inspected it and all the work has been done, let's close the file. So uh, we got step one. <laughs> so praise the Lord. And uh, those plans are very important. Also, running just a little bit behind, this is February's worker schedule. And, and so... Um, Let's see here, um, Miss Carmen, we got you down for greeter Sunday morning, and Brother Ding, we have you for usher, and Rosemary and Jennifer are in the nursery, uh, and so we'll call Rosemary and Jennifer and let them know, but uh, if you'd like to take one of these tonight, uh, that'll give you uh, the plan uh, for the rest of the week, and don't forget, next Friday night, uh, we'll have a uh, church uh, dinner, a fellowship, and so bring a plate of, well, don't bring a plate. Uh, this is a Baptist church. You better bring a lot of food. Uh, but uh, bring uh, a meal and bring a dessert, and we'll have an evening of fun and fellowship and food. Uh, and, of course, we'll have a time of the teaching and preaching of God's Word as well. But it'll just be a fun time. We normally... We've always done this, and I, I looked at the calendar for last year, and it was like we did absolutely nothing from January until September, and then we had the ladies' meeting, and then we had Brother Clayton for our anniversary, and then we had the missions conference, and then we had the Christmas stuff, and, and so we're going to try to spread it out a little bit this year, all right? So next Friday night, we'll start at 6.30, come as, you, as early as you can, uh, we'll probably do things in Baptist order. That means we eat first, amen? And, and then we take care of all the rest of it. So just uh, want to encourage you, and of course, all the regular services. And so, Brother Franz, why don't you come and lead us in that last song, and then we'll get into our Bible study. We'll make sure you pass those out. And uh, Brother Franz, I think Stephen has the extra copies if you want an outline for tonight. Uh, this is lesson one of the book of Jude, and uh, we're just going to continue uh, the last several Thursday nights. We did the second epistle of John, the third uh, letter of John, and now we're going to do the book of Jude, 
And just, I was going through my notes, and we had covered some of these books somewhat, but not as detailed uh, as, as uh, I would like for us to. And uh, some of you may remember Dr. Art Wilson when he was here. That was back in the year 2000. And uh, I think he described the book of Jude best. Uh, Jude is the door which opens to the book of Revelation. Now, everybody wants to understand the book of Revelation. I mean, all those things, the mountain with fire and, and, and all of that. And, and I don't know. Um, let me know. We've been through the book of Revelation a couple of times, and I'm not against going through it again. But it takes almost a year or more to go through the book of Revelation. And so what, what I'm, my plans are right now is to just pick up some of these smaller books that we've not ignored but have not been through carefully. And we're going to be several weeks in the book of Jude. Uh, it is one of those books that everybody just likes to, okay, I've got to get through it so I can get to the book of Revelation. And uh, I think by God's grace we'll get through uh, the better part of the first three verses tonight. But let's take a moment here and just read the entire book of Jude, all 25 verses. Follow along carefully, if you would. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men, crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day." Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel... When contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots. 
raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. And all God's people said, now boy, that's a big little book, isn't it? And I mean, there is so much. Jude just kind of touches on the whole way from creation to the end of the book of Revelation. I mean, it is everything here. And it's amazing when you read the book of Jude and how much Jude deals with what the commentators like to deal with. You know what they want to argue about? They want to argue about who Jude was. Well, right here it says Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, uh, as we've said many times and, and just helps you to understand the way these letters were written. How many of you have ever received a letter and it said, dear, your name and you started, who is this from? And you have to go down through the letter to the very end and find out, sincerely signed, whoever put their signature at the end of the letter. Has anybody ever had to read through a letter trying to figure out who it was from? Well, in their day, in the day that the book of Jude was written, the author signed the letter first so you knew who it was from. Uh, That makes a little more sense than some of what we do. Uh, especially if it's many pages long. But Jude was a very short letter, but he identifies himself. He gives two characteristics that he believes that everyone would know who he is that would read this letter. The first one is that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. And this was terminology that all the apostles used uh, of themselves that they were servants of Jesus Christ, but then he says he was a brother of James. Now, there were several James mentioned in the scripture, uh, and Jude was one of the 
as far as we know, it was one of the later letters that was written. Jude the Apostle, the brother of John, remember you had Peter, James, and John that were the inner circle that went with Jesus everywhere. Who remembers what happened to that James? Herod got him with the sword. Herod killed him. He was the first other than Jesus Christ uh, He was uh, and, and Stephen. He was the first of the apostles to die for his faith. Uh, Herod killed him. But yet, in Acts chapter 15, we hear of another James who was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. This James was the physical half-brother of Jesus Christ. We say half-brother because he had a natural mother, which was Mary, and a natural father, which was Joseph. And Judas here, or Jude, was the brother of that James. And if you remember reading in your New Testament, one time Jesus was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum there, or Nazareth actually, and they said, where does this man have all these wonderful words? Don't we know who he is? There's his mother, there's his father, there's his brethren. And it gives a list of those names uh, that were there. And Jude was one of Jesus' brothers. We say half-brother because Jesus did not have an earthly father. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Ghost. He is God in the flesh. And so Jude identifies himself with the, as the brother of James, who was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem for most of the time of the book of Acts. And he identifies himself not as the brother of Jesus Christ, trying to put himself in some kind of special relationship, but as the servant of Jesus Christ. I think the greatest thing that you can say about any living human being, truly that man or that woman was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I I don't know anything greater you can say about a human being. And that's how he identified himself, and it's certainly different than the way that people are identified today. And uh, I, I tell you, I've been to some preachers' meetings where they have introductions. And boy, by the time they're done introducing, uh, you're sitting there going, wow. And, and uh, I don't like that. Because we're not to draw attention to ourselves. We're to draw attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember somebody did that to Brother Clayton one time. And he got up and they just started telling every good thing they knew about him. And Brother Clayton is a very accomplished man and has done a lot of incredible things. But he got up and stepped in the pulpit. I don't know who he was talking about, but I'm Larry Clayton. I'm here to preach for you tonight. Uh, That's the attitude that Jude had here. Jude was not trying to tell you who Jude is. When you say, when you classify that word servant is the same word as slave, he says, I am the property of, I am under the complete domination of, I am under the control of, I have no life that belongs to me because I am the servant of Jesus Christ. 
Now that is an attitude that we need more of today. Amen. Jude, the servant of Christ. He is the author. Now here's the audience. To them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Now, that's quite a list there, is it not? You'll notice the first thing he says, to them that are sanctified. Now, unless you have a Bible and read your old King James Bible, that's a word you probably haven't seen very much of. The word sanctified. It's a word that is almost lost to modern day Christianity because most people today are trying to be as close to the world as they can possibly be, as much a part of the world as they can. And, but this word sanctified comes from the same root word as the word holy. It means separated. Have you ever met somebody? They're different. That's what the word sanctified means. But it's a special kind of sanctified. It's not sanctified. And I don't even know how you could say that, boy. I was going to say sanctified unto the goth club, but that's, uh, they're, they're separate. But, I mean, you talk about something different. That's something different. I mean, they paint themselves black all over and dress in black and talk about death all the time. And if you've ever been around one of those people, I mean, they make you feel weird. You say, whoa. But they give themselves to their thing. Uh, We'll find out how sanctified some of our people are. Sunday is the Super Bowl. Now, where are true Christians going to be during the Super Bowl? At least in the first half. And church, amen? And uh, uh, in case somebody wants to know, I've been rooting for the Pittsburgh Steelers since the days of Terry Bradshaw. Uh, But I have, uh, because I was born in Baltimore, we didn't have a football team. You said, what about the Colts? I already said, we didn't have a football team. Um, So we had to go out of town to find somebody. But if I have a choice between football and the Bible, forget about football. I listen to it on the radio, not during church. You know, some of those people get that little hearing aid helper and stick that thing right in there. I've seen it happen. You can always tell because something good happens. (laughs) has nothing to do with the service. I'm going to be watching Sunday night. No. You know what? We've never had that problem here. Because when you truly get saved, guess what? It separates you from the world. I love that song. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. I'll tell you what, that's the way it ought to be, because that's what the word sanctified means. It means separated, but it's a special separation. People will do all kinds of things 
to be separated to their cause or to their uh, whatever it is, to their passions. But the Bible says that we are sanctified by God. John chapter 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's word ought to affect the way you walk. God's word ought to change the way you live. And that's one of the ways you can tell that your Christianity is real. And this is the theme of the book of Jude. As we go through here, it says, sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved. I met a preacher one time, and he was trying to make a point. And... uh, he said, my Bible's not pickled. I said, okay. He said, my Bible's not preserved. I said, well, I guess yours is spoiled. And it was, because he didn't have one of these. <laughs> it was one that people changed words in and different things. And, but I know enough about preserving things. I mean, I didn't grow up on a farm, but... We had three peach trees in our yard. And my mom used to put up between 100 and 150 or so quarts of peaches every year. And my wife still gets upset. She'll in the summertime go out into the store and try to find peaches. And she'll, well, they, they sell things called peaches up here, but they, I mean, you just can't comprehend what it is to walk out and pull one off the tree and eat a real peach. I mean, it is, it is incredible. And my mom used to preserve those peaches. And I have many memories of it looking just like it does right now. Snow and ice and all of that all over the place. And I'd go down to the basement and get a quart of peaches. And it was all of a sudden, it was a summer afternoon because they were preserved. They weren't spoiled. Now, does anybody know uh, we have all this talk about Botox and everything? Do you know what that is? That's what happens when you don't preserve your vegetables or fruit properly. It gets botulism. And if you take a teaspoon and just dip it in a quart of corn, don't pick out a kernel, and lick the teaspoon, you'll be dead in less than 24 hours. And they take that stuff and inject it into you, and you pay money for it. (laughs) Not me! Botulism comes from something being spoiled. It's poison. And it will kill you. You see, Jude is writing to the people who are sanctified by God. When you get saved, you get sanctified, you get separated. In fact, God says you're now a member of my family. Amen? But God doesn't lose anybody. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, he said, But the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. 
Now, he's not talking about the church getting an army and going out and marching against somebody. He's saying anybody that gets saved, they never get lost. The book of Jude here says they're preserved. Now, I've met some people that call themselves Christians, but they didn't look very preserved. In fact, I wouldn't be willing to taste the spoon that had touched their life because it looks bald to me. Now, every Christian has to battle with sin. And you know what? Every Christian will fall prey to the tempter's snares because we're human beings. But here's the difference between the saved and the unsaved. The saved gets back up again. Amen? The saved man gets back up one more time. He says, I'm not going to let my sin stop me from serving Christ. Now, don't, don't do what some of them do. Well, I know I did wrong and I'm in jail, but God's really touched me and I got a television program to tell you how good God is from my prison cell. And some of you know who I'm talking about. That's not what Jude's talking about here, all right? If, if you sin and you fall prey to the tempter's snare and you end up in jail, spend every day living in God's forgiveness. But don't get a television show. I think we make a mockery of it sometimes. Get back to being sanctified before you want to tell everybody. Prove that you're preserved. Amen? Preserved in Jesus Christ. How can you tell someone's preserved in Jesus Christ? Well, where did we get the name Christian from? The word Christian means Christ-like. If you're preserved in Jesus, you're going to be Christ-like. It's like pickled eggs. How many of you like pickled eggs? You put them in beet juice and all that stuff and... What happens? Eggs weren't made purple, now were they? But you put them in that beet juice and all of that and they get preserved. They take on the characteristics of the preserving solution, do they not? That's why you put different spices in your pickles. Because you want them to taste a different way. You take the... Preserved item takes on the characteristics of that which preserves it. And if you are sanctified in God and preserved in Jesus Christ, then this last part is not very difficult. It says, and called. Called means that God has a specific duty and a specific place and things that he wants you to do. God knows your name. He's got things for you to do. This is the group to which Jude is writing his book. He's writing to them that are sanctified by God. They're separated from the world to God by his salvation. They are preserved. They're not losing their salvation. They're not saved today, unsaved tomorrow. They are taking on the characteristics of that which preserves them. How many of you have ever had fresh pickles? They taste like raw cucumbers. 
you got to let them sit in the juice a while to really get that flavor. And you know what? As Christians, we ought to really take on. We ought to grow in our Christ-likeness as we are preserved by Christ. That, that's a picture that Jude is painting for us here. And we have a purpose. How many times have you met somebody? Well, what are you going to do when you grow up? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go to college. By the way, how old are you? 35. Um, but when, when I grow up, I'm, I'm going to have a purpose. Listen, that is not the call of Jesus Christ. I've got something to do with my life. If you're saved, God has something for you to do. He's got a purpose. And so much of life is what we call the silent part. Because nobody cares. Nobody's paying attention. When you just show up. You know, that's important to God. It's important to good character. But we ought not come. Well, I made it to church tonight. Where's my little star? Well, I mean, listen, when God calls us, he's got a purpose for us to live. And sometimes that purpose is just being quiet and doing what God says no matter what the rest of the world does. Somebody says, how do you raise children? One day at a time? But that takes a long time. Yeah. Tell me about it. I think, um, let's see, when Jason turns 20 years old, I'm going to be 60, almost 67. You know what? My life's planned. But so much of it is going to be just being there to continue doing the things that those little lives need. Amen? That's calling. Don't look down on the callings of God to be there, to be mama, to be daddy is the greatest calling in life, but to be a Christian mother or father, to take those little ones and and help them learn to serve God with their lives. Does that sound like preservation to you? Sure does to me. Does that sound like a calling? It sounds like one to me. This is to whom Jude is writing. Now, if you're not saved, then you're not preserved and you're not called. Most of what's in the book of Jude is not going to apply to you. But if you are saved and you want to be in that, he is writing to you. And we get to verse 2. It says, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Now let's just go back. Mercy. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. The Beatitudes. Amen. And yet... There's a whole list of things you got to do before you get to being merciful. 
you got to start out with poor in spirit. Nobody likes being poor. But the poor in spirit's what leads to the mourning. And we go up the steps there of those beatitudes until we get to this thing called mercy. Mercy is what is given by the victor to the vanquished. That's how mercy works. God won the victory on the cross through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He defeated our foe. He paid the price for our sin. And if we'll admit that we cannot win the battle, what did the publican pray? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The old street preacher, man that ran the what is now the New York Rescue Mission, founded it, was the first place in the United States where someone who was living the life of a drunk, a drug addict could come and be fed and hear the gospel. Jerry McCauley, he was an ex-convict. He was spent several terms in Sing Sing. He was an alcoholic. He was everything that they were. And he would walk up and down that aisle each night repeating those words saying, if you want to get saved like I am, boys, God be merciful to me, a sinner. It's admitting you're defeated, that he's won the victory. We make it too complicated, do we not? It's hard to admit that you're beat. There's just something in that human flesh that wants to come up and says, no, I'm not giving up yet. But when you do, you can receive God's mercy. And guess what? Mercy isn't just for salvation. It helps every day. Have you ever been around somebody that's merciful? You say, how does that work? Well, that's somebody that doesn't blame you for everything that goes wrong. Amen? That's someone who's big enough to be in charge of the situation without having to use you as a hammer to get there. I mean, this is what mercy is. And we love being around people who are merciful. But it sure is hard to be merciful to others now, isn't it? But here's what he says. And and I'll tell you the key to being merciful to others is if you go to God and get a big helping, He'll give you enough to share. That's how you be merciful. And this is what Jude's saying right here, mercy unto you and peace. How many of us could use a little more peace? Just a little more peace. How do we get peace? I'll tell you what, you cannot have peace with anyone or even within yourself until you have peace between you and God. Once you get peace between you and God, then you can start working peace out with everyone else. What's that last one? And love. Remember that silly song, 
that they used to sing when I was a kid. I used to listen to it all the time. I had a, my first cassette recorder. And I taped that song, What the World Needs More is Love, Sweet Love. Just a dumb little pop song. Well, the world needs love. It certainly does. But the world needs real love. You see, we have a substitute love that we like to just smear around everywhere and plaster over all the problems and everybody looks at each other and says, love you, love you, see you later, love you. Do they really mean that? I mean, when Jesus Christ said, I love you, he did it from a cross. He loved us enough to do something about the mess we're in. That's love. Now here he says, be multiplied. How do you get these things multiplied to you? Let me tell you, as a Christian, can you plumb the depths of God's mercy? But he gave you all the mercy you need for all eternity the moment you got saved. The problem isn't your supply. The problem is you understanding what God's already given you. Amen? How about peace? I mean, real peace. The ability to lay your head on the pillow at night and not worry. The greatest peace is not just the absence of strife or war. That's not biblical peace. Biblical peace comes in the middle of the storm. Biblical peace comes when everything around you is falling apart. Peter cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached forth his hand and he walked back into the boat with nothing more than water to hold him up. That's the kind of peace I want. How about you? And then love. Tell you what, it's amazing. As I have an opportunity to travel and go different places on occasion. I get to meet people that I've never met before. They've never met me. But we serve the same Savior. And, and we have the same opinions when it comes to the Word of God and when it comes to the church of Jesus and, and what this book called the Bible teaches. And in five minutes, it's like we've been together all our lives. You know why? Because... There's a love that's shared between believers. Now be careful. There's no such thing as a universal, invisible anything. But when I have the Savior living in my heart and you have the Savior living in your heart, guess what? There's going to be a connection there because it's the same Lord. It's the same Holy Spirit living within us. And guess what? We don't need one bishop. We don't need one uh, organizing. We don't need a general superintendent or a council of apostles somewhere to tell us what to do. 
because it's the same Holy Spirit that's working in me, that's working in them. And that's one of the things I love about the Heartland Home Missions Conference. We had about 85 or so preachers there, uh, over 50 of them presented. And church after church after church came through and helped individuals with all kinds of needs. I don't know anywhere in the world you can find that kind of help. But you can have that kind of love multiplied to you if you'll just serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Then we start verse 3. Beloved. Isn't that a wonderful term? Someone, I mean, we have relegated that word just between boyfriend and girlfriend and... Uh, once in a while, husbands and wives use that word, but once you get married, you get past that beloved stuff, you know. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But this word beloved is referring to all of those people that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. And Jude says, I don't know who you are, but I'll tell you this, I love you because you have the same Savior as I have. You have the same heart that I have. You have the same working in your spirit that I have in mine. And therefore, there is a connection and intimacy there that only believers in Christ can share. And if we're not careful, we're going to miss the whole point here. And that's why we might not finish verse 3 here. I, I, but I want us to get to this here. He said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common Salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Now, we're just getting an overview here. We're just getting started. And if you listen to anything called Christian today, anything religious, the first thing you're going to hear is, there's too much contention in the body of Christ. Why, why do we all have to fight each other? Why can't we just agree? Well, I'll tell you why we can't agree. It's because we're not serving the same God. That's why we can't agree. We don't have the same Holy Spirit living in us. And if you don't have the same Holy Spirit living within you, there's not that connection that is there. If you don't have the same mercy that I have received, then your definition of the word mercy is different than my definition of the word mercy. My God doesn't just sweep your sins under the carpet because He's a good guy and He really doesn't want to hurt anybody. No, the God of the Bible is a just God that judges every sin that was ever sinned by every person within the realm of the human race. Could you imagine the library of heaven. I mean, you read the great white throne. It says the books were open. And let me tell you, not even Peter's going to admire the binding on those books. Because those books are full of every record of every human being since Adam and every sin that's ever been sinned. God didn't leave one of those sins out. There's not one blank record in his books. 
And yet Jesus paid for every sin if we'll only accept it. Now that is mercy. Amen. See, Jude wanted to write one of those I just want to encourage you in Jesus kind of books. Jude said, I just want to tell you how good God is. He said, I wanted to write about the common salvation. And that was in his heart. He said, when I gave all diligence. Now, we believe what the Bible says about the men who wrote the Bible. It says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It says that these words were not just Jude's words, that these were God's words that he put through the life of Jude. And Jude said, listen, I gave all diligence. I gave every part. I knew that God was working in me to write unto you about the goodness of God, about our common salvation. Now, do you understand what a common salvation is? Now, when we use the word common today, we mean something entirely different most of the time. Well, that's just common stock. Uh, that means you just get a, uh, an investment, no real dividends. You just have this and that. But what you really want is you want the, the controlling stock. That's where you have a say in the board meetings. And, you, and, and it's really worth something. You own part of the company. Uh, we'll say, well, that's just... That's just, a, uh, that's just a common coin. They're, they're everywhere. What you want are the rare coins that are worth a lot of money. Well, that's not what Jude's talking about here. What Jude is saying is, I have the same salvation that you have. Now, that ought to amaze you. That ought to make you stop and think that... I have the same salvation the Apostle Peter had. Now, I haven't done with my salvation what Peter did with his. But I have the same salvation because God only saves you one way. Amen? We hear the world talk about unity. Well, what more could you get unified about than how you're saved? Amen? What more could you get excited about than the fact that we're brothers and sisters in Christ? That one day, all of us, and I can't explain how this is going to happen, but if you're saved here on earth, one day we'll all be one with God. You ever wonder why Jesus said, listen, in the resurrection, they, they are neither married nor given in marriage. It's because we'll be closer in heaven than we could ever be here on earth. But we'll be closer to everybody. We'll enjoy that oneness with Christ because there will be no tempter there. And you got to really stop and think about this. But Jude, when he's telling us here, we skip over this. Uh, we get the idea, oh, okay, I was going to write about the common salvation, but now I'm going to tell you how to go out and fight for it. Contend for the faith. No, that's not what he's saying. 
He said, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful. He said, if I'm going to tell you about the salvation that we share, he said, the first thing I got to do, what is most important, if you want to share that salvation, if you want to enjoy that unity that everybody talks about, nobody ever finds it. Remember one time, Pastor Thompson, my preacher, was found in a somewhat of a ecumenical meeting for some reason. I can't remember what it was. He said, I just kind of felt obligated to be there, so I was there. And he said, I found myself sitting right across the table from a really liberal Protestant, I think it was an Episcopal pastor. I mean, he believed the Bible was a storybook, that Jesus wasn't the Son of God. He didn't believe that the, Jesus was the virgin-born Son of Mary. He didn't believe anything. And right next to him on this side was an Orthodox priest in all his regalia and everything. And, and being that Brother Thompson was the kind of man that he was, he said, I'm going to have a little fun. So he looks over at this real liberal guy and he says, you don't believe that book called the Bible anymore over at your church, do you? He says, no, nah, it's just a storybook. And this Orthodox priest was going... He says, you don't believe that Jesus is really the virgin-born son of Mary? And he said, no, those are all just story tales. And he could just see the blood pressure rising. And pretty soon, this Orthodox priest and started attacking that guy. And he started attacking back. And Brother Thompson just stepped back and watched him fight and had a little entertainment at the meeting. You see, you can't have commonality. Now, I don't recommend you try that at home, all right? Certain people can get away with things. If I ever tried something like that, I'd end up in jail somewhere. So I just don't do it. But the simple truth of the matter is, you can't share in a common salvation if your salvation isn't the same. And so Jude is saying, listen... There are errors. There are doctrinal problems in churches in the day when Jude wrote this book. The best we can guess, Jude probably wrote this letter somewhere between uh, maybe as early as 60 A.D. and, and as late as 85 or 90 A.D. We, we just don't know. But somewhere in that time period, depending on how long he lived and, and uh, other things, Jude would have written this book. And by the way, most of the errors that are present today were already present in Jude's day. There were already people trying to redefine salvation. And, and we're out of time, and, and I, I just want to touch on this a little bit. But you go down to... Um, Verse 4, and it talks about certain men crept in unawares who turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. Now, lasciviousness is lewd, lustful behavior. Now, how many times have you heard someone say, turn on certain cable network, if you want a new car, you tell God to give you one. That's turning the grace of God into lasciviousness saying that your possessions 
or your understanding, your realization of things that make you happy is salvation. Jude was already talking about that. You know what? There's a group of people says, and I remember this real big because the hippies were still hanging around when I was growing up and uh, some of them were making it into mainstream and, and, and different things. And, and you can't judge a book by its cover. Only God knows what's on the inside. Hey, let me tell you something. If God's on the inside, he'll fix the outside. You can't help it. Sometimes you can put a nice coat of paint on the outside and make it look real nice when it's not nice. But let me tell you, if God himself is living on the inside, he'll fix up the outside because God doesn't want a bad testimony. But we get into verse 5. And there were a group of people that God brought out of the land of Egypt. And they thought because God brought them out of the land of Egypt that God owed them a living and God was going to do for them what they wanted him to do. And when God didn't do things the way they wanted God to do it, they got mad at God. The only problem was God got mad back. And who suffered? Not God. But those people who thought they had a right to order God around. And you can buy books. Go to any bookstore. Go to the self-help and the spiritual thing and they'll be, get what you want from God. That's what verse 5 is all about. Let me tell you something. False religion was alive and well in the days of Jude. And Jude's going to talk about it. Because you cannot share a commonality between the truth and error. It's not possible. I, I've had people accuse me of being a little dogmatic and believing too much in what I preach. No, I just believe in what the Bible says. It said it long before I said it. What I preach is nothing new. If it's new, it's not Bible. I'm not here to espouse anything that belongs to me. What I'm here to do is to espouse what belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ that he's written for us in his word. And if we'll do that, guess what? We'll have that unity. We'll have that relationship. We'll have that love. We'll have that peace. We'll have all of those things that the, that the world talks about all the time. Do you know how they get unity in most religious meetings today? Well, you see, we, we've learned to make the big things the big things and the little things the little things. Oh, really? Well, how does that work? Well, when it comes to the issues of word of God, I mean, which words really belong to God? That's a... We're not going to argue about Bibles. Just bring anyone you want. We'll all call them Bibles. That's how it works. And when it comes to music, listen, what we're trying to do is reach people. So let's get something people enjoy. Let's get us a good rock band. 
I mean, that's what everybody likes. Now, you might not like that music as a Christian that much, but you got to realize it reaches people. Wrong. When I use the world to reach the world, they're still in the world when I'm done. When God's word reaches you, it sanctifies you. It separates you from the world. It changes things. It pickles you. You're going to smell different. You're going to taste different. You're going to look different. And guess what? There's going to be some people that aren't going to like that. Who do you think you are being different from everybody else? Well, I'm not choosing what difference is. It's the juice I'm in. Amen? I mean, I've been sitting in this long enough that it made me different. And it's going to keep me that way. I'm not going to spoil. I'm not going to rot. I've been preserved in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so, what I want us to get a hold of here was that Jude, as much as was within him, wanted to write one of those books that everybody would want to read. How much God loves you. Smile. But he said, if I'm going to talk about how much God loves you and the common salvation and all those good things, he said, uh, it's needful for me to uh, write to you and tell you to contend for the faith. Now that word contend is the word contention. It means to fight. Now, who are we supposed to fight? Are we supposed to fight the devil? And this will be next week's lesson. i got to quit. I can go on all night here. But, no. You see, I'm supposed to resist the devil in the faith, my friend. I'm not supposed to fight the devil for the faith. It doesn't belong to him. It belongs to Jesus. You know who I'm supposed to fight with? Well, number one, I'm supposed to fight with me. Keep me straight. Number two, it talks about men who crept in unawares in the next verse. And I can tell you story after story of people who tried to creep into our church And they more or less creeped out, sometimes with a little help, uh, because they were trying to use this church as a platform to teach false doctrine. Remember one guy, I heard that he was doing that. Some people told me. I found him at the post office, not on the wall. Um, And I said, excuse me. I said, what you're doing is wrong. And he said, what do you mean? I said, you're, you're coming into our church and inviting people to go to other churches that teach something different. I said, that's unethical. I said, you're not going to do that anymore. Who says? I said, next time you walk through that door and try that, I said, I'm going to call your name from the pulpit. You'd do that? I said, yes, I most certainly would. I said, because that's not what church is about. You're more than welcome to believe anything you want, man. But you do it outside, not inside. 
See, that's what he means, contending for the faith. Because there are churches all over this city that once preached the truth. Today, you couldn't get saved in that church if you had a battalion of Marines looking for it. Because they didn't contend for the faith. It's not pleasant to contend. And anyone that's ever been in a real fight doesn't want to fight. You know who the people that want to fight all the time are? They're the dirty fighters. They're the wicked guys. Those are the people who want to fight. But I'll tell you what, American history is full of people who did fight because they had to. And this is what Jude is talking about. We'll have all of eternity to enjoy unity of the faith. But till we get there, hold tightly to your Bible. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us as we study this book called Jude. We pray that you would guide us into the truths that are here. And yet, Lord, let us see the application for these words that were written uh, over a thousand years ago. Let us see the application for tomorrow. Lord, help us not to write our ideas and our thoughts over your word, but let your word write over us. We ask that you would give us confidence that we may know that we are being obedient to your words. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish our prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed. Just ask for the piano to play. If you need to...